This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is sponsored by Fisher Skis, and you can visit them at www.fishersports.com. Hello, hello, hello. My name's Adam. This is the Out of Bounds Podcast, and today we have an awesome episode where, well, you'll, you'll see. Uh, awesome episode today with Annika Williams. Uh, Annika is now working for Powder. Uh, she's also a climate scientist, and we get all into... All things climate change, protect our winters, uh, ski media in general, and the comeback that is Powder Mag. Uh, so, before we get into that episode, a couple things. Be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't yet. Uh, there's a bunch of cool stuff coming out. Reviews, videos. I guess that's what you put on YouTube as videos. So, you can check that out if you want to. Leave a review in uh, at the bottom of this show, whether it's on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts, that helps us a ton. It helps us, I don't know, m- help brands understand why it's worth working with us uh, when they see that people like the show. So hit us with some feedback, and you can always email me if you are interested in, uh, in chatting some more about any of the topics we talk about on the show. If you have product questions, whatever, especially for any of our partners, it, uh, it's a great way to get some direct contact. Uh, you know, I usually charge like 400 bucks an hour, but I'll do it for free for you people. Before we jump into the episode, I think I already said that. So before, before we jump into the episode, we have a couple sponsors for today, starting with a new one in Rocky Talkie. Rocky Talkie makes backcountry radios that are incredible. Like they're designed for use in the outdoors, whether it's mountain biking, skiing, hiking, whatever. Uh, one to five miles of range in the mountains, which is super rad. They're, they're easy to use. I, Ethan and I used them at Rasputitsa to kind of contact each other between different points in the race. Uh, and I got to tell you, it's super easy. They're actually kind of fun too. Like you just kind of play with them um, and just chit chat with each other. Like I can't tell you the amount of things that I told Ethan that he probably doesn't need to know while we were on at that event. We'll be using them on the bikes this weekend and I'm super excited. Uh, cold resistant battery lasts like three to five days, even in minus 20, which is insane. Uh, designed for communication on big walls and while backcountry skiing, it's got a built-in Mammut ultralight carabiner. So if you want to seem like you're swagged out with a Mammut carabiner, get a Rocky Talkie and you will be able to do so. Small and lightweight, less than eight ounces. So all the good stuff. I'm, yeah, I'm a big fan. I didn't think I needed a Rocky Talkie walkie talkie, but I apparently did. So glad I got one now. You can get 10% off on a pair by going to rockytalkie.com slash out of 10. Save yourself 10% off at rockytalkie.com slash out of 10. We also have Darn Tough as a sponsor. Darn Tough makes the very best in socks. You will literally only have to buy one pair for your entire life if that is what you choose. I am always shocked at the amount of people that come to us and are like, yeah, Darn Tough is a perfect sponsor, not just for you guys, but it's like you can sell a brand that you know actually makes the very best product in the world. They're made in Vermont. And uh, if you want, come ride bikes with me in Vermont and maybe I'll get you some socks. So you can check out more if you're going to buy some socks. You can check out more from Darn Tough at www.darntough.com. And get yourself some new socks that have a lifetime guarantee today. Without further ado, here's my friend and yours, Annika Williams. Tell people who you are, a little bit about yourself, and then we can kind of take it from there. Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Annika Williams, but a lot of people call me Ani. 
And I'm originally from Waitsfield, Vermont. So I grew up skiing Mad River Glen and um, playing in the Green Mountains and hiking Camel's Hump and all of that. Um, I'm currently coming to the end of a master's in climate change science, which I did mostly based in Europe. So I was in Copenhagen for a year and the French Alps for six months studying climate change in varying capacities. Um, And I just stepped into the role of freelance managing editor for Powder Magazine, which is coming back. So right now I'm kind of juggling both of those things. Um, And yeah, I love skiing. I love climbing. I love running. Um, So that's kind of how I spend my free time. And I do a lot of freelance writing, mostly like within the outdoor and environmental spaces. I've noticed, I looked at your website. It's like you got tons of writing up on there and I'm sure that's not even all of it. Thanks. Yeah. It's been fun. A lot, a lot to That's talk awesome. about in those industries. Yeah, there's always something going on, which I think is, it, it's the reason that I stick around. Like, it's always fun. It's always fresh. And honestly, even if it's the same old thing, there's a new take on it. There's a new perspective. And I like that part of it a lot. Definitely. Definitely. Um, talk to me a little bit about Powder coming back. Uh, what Were you surprised to see this? Is it something you were obviously, I'm, I'm assuming that you were happy about it, but what, tell me a little bit about how that came about for you and, and what things are looking like over there. Totally. Yeah. Um, I'm stoked Powder's coming back. I think it's awesome. Um, especially after a lot of publications have kind of been incorporated under outside. I think it's cool to see a publication that people are sad about, um, going away, come back and just kind of see that that's possible. And it will be different. Like I think uh, we're figuring out what it's going to look like and kind of how we get, um, yeah, like it's all about getting like readers. And so how do we maximize readers while also like maintaining the ethos of Powder Magazine and kind of not compromising the storytelling that we're doing. But it was a totally serendipitous um, opportunity for me, like just kind of like connections working out. You talk to the right person at the right time and they're like, well, like we need someone who's willing to cover Utah and you happen to have just moved to Salt Lake City. Like, why don't you do this? Um, And so, yeah, we just like, I just launched the Utah site two weeks ago. So it's super fresh, but um, it's really exciting. And I think it's cool as someone who's skied my whole life to think about kind of what stories have we historically told in skiing and what stories have we not. And like, how do we kind of strike the balance of like giving people content that like historically has been really popular while also not just like creating this echo chamber in ski media, which I think already exists and kind of thinking about like, how do we talk about other things in skiing that we haven't really addressed in the past few decades of like digital publications in particular? Mm. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious to see the direction that, the new version of powder goes right because there are so many things that people loved about the original powder and so many things that i think people are hoping they hang on to but there was also a lot of things that didn't really work like one financially and Mm -hmm. i I think to be a prominent magazine right now you have to have all the other things go with it's like any source of media it's hard to do just one corner or one style of media and make it successful right now Mm -hmm. because there's just so much going on and some people prefer this medium or that medium and while there's certainly the group of people that really love to hold the physical thing in their hand there's a lot of people that just care about what's on their explore page or what's on you know the website or the youtube or whatever so i I am interested to see what 
kind of happens there. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's, it's really interesting from a writing perspective and just content creation perspective. Like there are things I'm really psyched to write, but there are other things that like I know will get more traction and kind of balancing the like, yeah. you know, what stories do I want to tell with like what builds readership and like gets more clicks essentially. And I'm sure like you encounter this with podcasting too. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. It's, uh, it's funny. Some of the things that I, I think are the most interesting to me do terrible, like numbers wise, like they'll do, they'll do God awful. And then the things that I'm like, I really don't give a shit about this. They'll end up crushing like half the time it goes one way or the other, but it's just, it's really funny. Like when you're creating the content, sometimes having a personal connection to it and really loving it is something that's unique to you and it doesn't always translate to the audience and the viewership or the listenership it just doesn't even if you love it i think people some people like it because you love it but i don't know if a lot of it has the same mass marketability i'm sure there's people that that can kill it like uh, matt lorelli is on the mm-hmm. powder team now and like he's a good example of someone that i think always knows like the current content that people are going to click on. Like he seems like that kind of guy. And like half the time, I think Matt does a great job. Half the time I really care about what he's putting out. And half the time I'm like, I could give two shits about whatever this post is right now. And it's just a clickbaity thing. But I'll tell you from our own Instagram page, like half the shit we post, at least half, I think is so dumb. And then it'll crush. And then like the other stuff that I really care about, like nice photos and, like telling stories and that kind of thing it i don't know it it doesn't hit the same way as like this viral like social world that we live in totally yeah i'm curious like i've been thinking a lot about kind of like what like what do we what do i want to see more of in kind of the like ski story selling storytelling space but i've also been asking like a lot of skiers and people i get out with like what do we need to see in the outdoor industry like broader than skiing, like in terms of media. And I'd be curious, just given that you talk to so many people who are in this space and you're like, you're such a part of this space. What, what do you think like outdoor industry media does well? And what do you think we could do better? Oh, I, I have no idea. It's, (laughs) there's so many things that I think the industry does well, but there's so many things that like bother the shit out of me. Like I, I do feel like skiing and ski media has fallen into a rut of like everybody's trying to post the same stories everybody's kind of just trying to piggyback the same things I mean I think ski is one of the biggest examples of like and I'm totally calling them out right now and I kind of feel bad already but like the way that they run their articles now is like clearly very tailored towards just getting clicks on it and I kind of hate it like there's so many things that I've seen them put out over the past couple months and I'm not I like a lot of the people that work at ski. I think they're really great. I'm not I'm not shitting on anybody individually. I just think the way that a lot of the content is geared doesn't make sense to my head for the publication that I used to know, but I also might just in my not so old age must just be getting salty about some of the stuff that comes out, especially because I like want to create my own stuff. It's hard to go and be like, "Oh, here's another one of the same thing." Here's like, I don't know. It, they're they've been on my not as good side lately and I'm sure I'm going to get a text or an email about this, but I, I just don't, I don't love it. And I hope that powder does a good job of like actually telling unique stories from people who have something to say, because like, yes, there's a model that works really well when you can get paid on clicks, 
sure. Like, and I think the powder team and Paul, like I'm actually working on something with Paul for bike right now, Paul Edmondson right now, and then hopefully something for powder as well. There's a way to do it where they can actually figure out how to tell stories that people care about, get them to click on it and kind of balance the pot a little bit where like, yeah, you can do the virality type story, but you also can do stuff that people are genuinely interested in. Like, I think sometimes those stories seem dry. Like I just did an interview today, like just came out today about mountain town housing. Right. And talking about like spent an hour and a half talking to Ben Leone about zoning laws and why it's the problem and not Airbnbs. And to me, like if I go and tell someone random that I did a podcast on zoning, it sounds like the most boring thing ever. But there's a lot of really interesting bits that I think are that you can take from that and an education that can be taken from that. That'll help the whole industry kind of understand a problem that we all have. And I think that's that's one of the things I hope to see more of from other ski media is like actually try to like find a problem, assess the problem, find people that can start to offer solutions so that we can actually make some progression. Totally. And like good storytelling brings like complex issues to a broader audience in an engaging way. So like, you know, it's like more of an art form than just thinking about like what video are people going to click on or like, you know, what stupid title are people going to click on. And I've, I've yeah. tried to think more intentionally about the articles that I'm clicking on as a reader, like, you know, cause like yeah. I write things and I produce content, but I'm also like a massive consumer of content across like everything. And so I think I've tried to be more mindful about like, what, like, what am I interested in reading about? And like, what kind of overarching themes are those things that I like gravitate toward? And how can I reproduce that? And like, how can I talk to other people about what they're interested in reading and what they click on and where they get their news? Yeah. What actually interests you? Like as a reader, as a <laughs> consumer of this content, what what do you actually enjoy? Like what's the last mm-hmm. thing that you clicked on and you were like, this is really good? Hmm. I really, recently, I, th- I think I've been drawn to like misadventure stories and kind of stories of things not mm-hmm. going well. Like I feel like kind of like <laughs> the perfect story of success or like a beautiful ski line there, there's a lot of that. And I think it's really important to celebrate those successes. But I think there's a lot more learning in kind of the failures. And I I don't think people are particularly good at being vulnerable in, um, in outdoor spaces, because I think there's like this pressure, like, at least in skiing, there's like this pressure to perform and like, this pressure to like nail the line and kind of do it perfectly. But I think when people mess up, like we can learn a lot from that. And as you know, like I've been skiing my whole life, but I'm relatively young and there's a lot I want to do. And I think I learn a lot when pro skiers open about uh, open up about mistakes they've made and are willing to be vulnerable about like days that were more challenging for them. Um, and it mm. just feels more real. Like it feels like they're more real p- people and sort of those, um, what they're pursuing is more attainable when they kind of break it down to like, yeah, this was hard or like we got shut down or like we made a bad decision. Like I think people need to own that too and share that. Um, yeah. so I think storytelling around like vulnerability and kind of resilience in the ski space and the outdoor space is super compelling to me right now. And thinking about how to yeah. do that in a way that still like celebrates success. Cause that is ultimately the goal, you know, like that is what I want. Like, right. I want to go nail that line. I want to like execute, I want to perform, but that just like, you just can't guarantee that. And so like, how do we deal with those setbacks? How do we um, how do we confront that? Like we're fallible, like injuries happen, accidents happen. Like we make mistakes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, I think seeing genuine, like, openness and vulnerability is a thing that I'm actually really interested in hearing about from people because I think there was a time in COVID when everybody decided that it was okay to share their feelings. <laughs> but then, which is great, right? Like, I think that's awesome. It happened for a few weeks where it seemed like a lot of people in the industry were willing to open up a little more about things gone wrong or how they were actually feeling and that kind of stuff. And then I feel like we've, been in a rut for a little while here and it might just be me typically being salty about the world and not trusting anybody's intentions but I feel like there's a lot of performative vulnerability where people are just like it's the same as the activism that people were complaining about where it's like okay there's a lot of this that is really performative right now and my problem with it is that it it, I don't care if you want to do something for yourself to get clicks or to get attention on you. I, I actually think that that's fine in and, in and of itself, but my problem with it is when it takes away from the people that are actually starting to be vulnerable or actually going out there and trying to support a cause or trying to, to ha- like put on some kind of activism that actually means something intentionally, follow up with it and actually it, look to fix something as opposed to just talk about a problem. I'm I'm really sick of hearing about just problems for the sake of hearing problems. I want to hear things that people have to say about here's what went wrong. Here's why I'd like to do something better. And, and this is me following up on it. You know what I mean? Like, cause otherwise it's just so shallow sometimes. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. And I think like creating space in um, on these broader public platforms for people to feel comfortable, like sharing their challenges or sharing their takeaways. I, um, I moved to Salt Lake City this in February. So like, you know, super recent to Utah and incredible winter to be out here. I mean, you know, like it's the winter everyone's talking yeah. about and it's like <laughs> yeah, totally yeah. like... I, I heard, I heard, yeah, I heard. <laughs> yeah, but um, it's funny like re- like hearing people reflect on it because I feel like there's such an attitude of like, what lines did you ski this winter? And like, I'm new to the Wasatch. I'm still like learning what all the lines are. And I think like even in hearing those conversations, it's sort of like, okay, yeah, like I'm, I'm really psyched on some of the lines I skied. And like there are days where like there's perfect snow and the last thing I wanted to do was go walk up a mountain. Um, and I think like yeah. creating kind of like, it's like even though ski season is wrapping up, it's like we still can't like reflect in a way that like acknowledges like all the ups and downs of the season. Like it's still kind of like what what was your best line is like the question. And yeah. it's just, it's not that interesting. Like I just don't think it's that yeah. interesting. And I, I did have a fun opportunity to kind of reflect with one of my main ski partners, like, you know, what, like, what could we as like a ski partnership do better next winter? And I think that was like yeah. a really cool conversation where it was sort of like, okay, like we skied a ton of days this winter together. And like, what did we learn? And kind of like have some space from those days. And like, we're not about to go ski tomorrow necessarily. So to kind of think about like, okay, like how can I like reflect on the season and like be better next season? you know, like, and not just kind of Mm. ride this high of like, this was epic snow, and we all skied like the best lines of our life, but to kind of be like, you know, like, what are like, what do we take forward from this in a constructive way as well? Yeah, yeah, do you? I love that. Like, I think that's something that everybody should do. And it's funny, like, in a lot of these Avi one and Airy one courses, they one of the things that they put you through is like, making sure that you assess what the risks are in the beginning of the day. And then you break down the day at the end and actually like write down and talk about like, here's what we encountered. Here's what we could have done better. Here's what we 
actually did and we wish we would have went one way or the other or we feel like we made a good decision and i think that's that to me was one of the most underrated parts that i had never thought about until you like take an actual course and then you're like all right this matters and i think a lot of people go in there and they're like okay i'll i'll never do this again right like i'll never break down my day like this again but for me it's been it's been one of the better parts about it because I actually remember those days more, mm. right? Like you can go skiing and skiing is sick. It's always like, it's really good, but I don't always remember what happened during the season because we all work in the industry. So everything becomes a blur. Yeah. And I think once I started writing down what those days were like, it helps me like put myself back in that position a little more. That's really cool. Yeah. That's a good exercise. Yeah. Which is great. Have you, being in Utah, do you ever feel like the obligation to say that like, oh yeah, skiing is really great right now. Like it's awesome. Like every day was great. Like I, I wonder because I don't live in Utah and because my days are primarily, you know, New England, um, I always wonder what it is like to have so many potential good snow days and if that ever sours on you at all or if you're ever at the point where like, I don't really want to go skiing right now. Um, I mean, yes to all of it. I think um, there are definitely days where I like want to want to go skiing, but if I'm honest with myself, I'm like, I kind of just want to go for a run and like read my book or get some work done and knock it up at 4 a.m. to like fit in a long ski and then start my work day. Um, yeah. And I think, I think there are also times where I really miss East Coast skiing, which like I know like most people would scoff at, but I grew up skiing Madover Glen. And I think there's something about like the community that I had there when I was growing up that I, you know, and I'm like new to Utah. So, and I think there's a really great community. So I've had a ton of fun with everyone I've skied with out here, but I kind of miss the like cozy community feel of the East Coast and the mountains I grew up skiing. Um, and that being said, I think it was like a really good launch point for much bigger mountains out here. So I think it goes both ways. Like where when I was little, like I wanted to go ski big mountains and I was sort of like looking to the West and, you know, grass is always greener. Like now that I'm here, I'm like so psyched to be out here and progressing in big mountains. But like definitely have days where I'm like, I kind of just want to go like ski the single chair and like do my favorite runs off yeah. it. And like just kind of like see a moose in the woods at Madover Glen and be like totally in awe at that or, you know, like ride up the chairlift with some little kids who it's like their first time going up the double chair at Madriver and get to like be this yeah. random stranger who like takes them up and gets to be a part of this huge experience for them. So, yeah, I think it definitely like is really easy to, to feel pressure out here to be like, you know, like I need to ski every day and kind of maximize every minute and I, I don't think that's bad like it's it's really cool to kind of have that energy around you but like I would there's certainly days where I'm like I don't like it's not where my psych is or like I kind of just want like to go home and ski at home um so I think it's way yeah. more complicated than just like the snow is good we're skiing all the time yeah yeah for sure let me ask you this how in your mind, like growing up skiing Mad River, how have they been able to make things work for this long? Like if people haven't been, it's like it's a rinky dink yeah. little place that you wouldn't expect to be successful at all in 2023, I don't mm -hmm. think. But there's something very homey about it and they've made it work. And I think 
I'm convinced at this point that they're keeping the single chair as a gimmick, like so that people just go and they talk. And I love it. Like, it's awesome. But I just think that it's uh, they push it now so hard. It's like the first thing everybody talks about that. I I almost think marketing was I think like the resort was like, let's get rid of this thing. And then marketing was like, fuck, no. Um, yeah, no, that's a really good point. My parents always joked growing up, they were like, the single chair is the best invention because we got a break from like kids. It was like 15 minutes where we <laughs> yeah. didn't have to be parents. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's been really sad, honestly, to see kind of the change in snow at Mad River. Like I remember skiing powder days when I was a kid and I cannot remember the last time I skied a powder day at Mad River, like as an adult. Um, yeah. So it's definitely been like, hit hard, I think, by kind of climate change and just shifts in the ski industry. Like it's becoming a lot more uh, inaccessible, I think, to ski really anywhere. Um, I think like community will has kept Mad River alive. Like when I think about (laughs) kind of um, home, I'm like, I just know that there are people that like if Mad River like like really fell by the wayside, like some wealthy old person would step up and like keep it alive and like it would be a community effort like more people would step in and I think um you know that's like totally like a fantasy in my head I'm sure but it is like I think it really does speak to kind of the belief behind Mad River like there are so many people who believe really strongly in Mad River as a mountain existing exactly as it exists right now and exactly as it's always existed that like I think people are pretty resistant to change, which is good and bad. Like, I think the ski industry is evolving really quickly for a lot of reasons. And like, ski resorts have to keep up. And I worry about Mad River, like, not being able to keep up with some of those changes. And I like, love the like, stubborn refusal to change like anything. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think all of that is true. I'm curious to see what happens over the next five years and I think you're seeing obviously the last the past five years have been the years of mega passes where everything is getting bought out yeah all these like small resorts are either going out of business or they're like going towards being in a mega pass resort and there's very few that have been able to like carve out their own area for themselves so I'm curious to see especially with New England being the way it is, like it's been fucking miserable winters here for a while now. And I I just, people are always like, oh, it never snows in New England. But like, I remember having tons of snow days as a kid up until like I was 16, 17. And then the last 10 years have felt like, yeah, have I gotten pow days? Yes. Are they gone the very next day? Because all of a sudden it's 55 degrees and raining? Yes. So like, I don't, I just don't understand what is going to happen with the ski market on in places like New England. Like, are we going to rely solely on snowmaking? How does that impact what we're doing? How does that impact the cost of things? I, I, I have a lot of questions for, for what skiing here is going to look like. Because I think skiing in New England is, is where it starts for most people. And, like, you live in the city of transplants right now. Totally. Like, that is everybody came from new england i i've met like five people that have actually been born raised and still live in utah the majority of everybody else feels like they came from new england so there's something really special about it because it builds that love for the sport and it it builds like a willingness to just go skiing no matter what but i feel like the more we have these crazy short winters or odd winters it's like 
people don't have that much time to go skiing, right? Their days are limited. So if it's pouring or it's 60 or the mountain's not open because of one reason or the other, people start to just go do something else. And I think that's the problem. Same problem like the bike industry had during COVID is like, yeah, there was no bikes in stock. Everybody wanted a bike. Everybody talked about the bike boom. But as soon as people started getting told no often enough about buying a bike, people stopped giving a shit. Like people stopped, they moved on to something else. They started kayaking, they started playing tennis and all those things are great. But it does feel like sometimes that it's trending in that direction, even though we just came off a year with the most skier visits of all time. So I have no, I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. I think it kind of goes back a bit to like the conversation we were having earlier about what do we like what stories do we tell in ski media and i think um i think that that's going to change as like some of these mountains and conditions change and whether that's like a full-on shift to like featuring mountain biking at a lot of these new england resorts and like making that their big draw or just thinking about like what do we celebrate in skiing because we might not have as many powder days or any to celebrate at mount river for example but i think there's still other things. And it's tricky because I think about like the kind of sense of responsibility I have over the places that I grew up skiing. And I, I don't have that sense of responsibility for like ski resorts in New Hampshire that I've never been to, even though they're like theoretically mm-hmm. the same. And so I think there's something about kind of developing that place-based connection that gives you a little more like, okay, like I will be there in rain. I will be there in mud. Like, you know, like I will be skiing yeah. at Mad River. But I think thinking more broadly about like, why do we ski and what do we celebrate in skiing? And if, you know, like, would you still ski if someone told you that you'd never get another powder day or that you'd never like successfully accomplish another big line? And it's sort of like, I don't, I don't know exactly what my answer would be. Like, it's really hard to say, but I think there is like some pure joy in just like sliding downhill on snow. Deuter is a sponsor of the Out of Bounds podcast. Deuter is the ultimate in packs, in bags, and now in bike packs. They make an awesome new uh, bike packing bag. They have a frame frame bag that goes all the way through your frame. They have a handlebar bag. They have a huge seat bag, and it's all waterproof. This stuff is super, super Gucci, and I'm really excited to be ch- testing this stuff out. You will see a review coming from us pretty soon, but there's also a brand new hip pack that came out for, z- for those of you that are mountain biking. Awesome option to run that Dota hip pack. It's it's super comfortable. Like I had the old one. The old one was great. This is a huge improvement. Velcro strap that goes through the midsection. Tons of space. They come in a couple different sizes, a couple really good colors. So go to Deuter.com, D-E-U-T-E-R.com and get yourself a new bag. Yeah, I was home for the holidays and slept on top of Mad River on New Year's and we skied down the next morning. I was like, it was gross. Like it was raining. It was muddy. We were grass skiing and it's like January 1st, you know, like that's supposed to be prime skiing um, or middle of winter. And so it was like sad, you know, it was sad to see that and be like, oh, it's a bummer that, you know, Mad River is not even open on January 1st, 2023. And yeah. it was so much fun. Like we laughed the entire <laughs> way. We had a blast. Like it was so ridiculous. I was soaking wet when I got back to the car. Um <laughs> And I think kind of remembering that like, like skiing is ridiculous. Like at the end of the day, like it is a crazy activity that we do, you know, like it's easy to take it really seriously and like kind of target these big lines and people take themselves so seriously and like think it's like the end of the world if they don't accomplish something or 
whatever. But it's like such a silly sport when you think about it. And I think that's part of why I love it. And it's really easy to forget that when there's so much pressure to perform and do the next big thing. And I think sometimes like skiing in the rain is like the, the best reminder that it's like a really silly thing that we are incredibly privileged to get to do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, there, there is something very therapeutic about it, whether conditions are good or bad. Like sometimes I get on the hill and I'm like, this is all I needed today for, I, I need one hour, you know, like that's all I needed. I just needed to make a couple turns. Sometimes like just driving to the resort, putting my boots on and literally making a run is all I need. Do you know what I mean? Like there's been plenty of days when I've made, I've had a two, three run day because like of time or whatever. And, and it was like the best time. Like it, it doesn't mm-hmm. need to be all that much. It doesn't need to be all that great, but it is what it is. And, it, and sometimes those are the days that remind you why you started doing this whole thing in the beginning. Totally. Yeah. I think the best condition days aren't necessarily the most fun or the most rewarding. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Let me, on the climate side of things, let me ask you why you started to get into this, why you're pursuing like any education at all, never mind a <laughs> master's in climate science. Like what, what kind of drove you to that point? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I like wish I could say it was like really thought out and intentional, but um, I think it was kind of just like a really serendipitous um, track. I So I grew up in a family where we spent a lot of time outside and kind of like being stewards of um, the environments around us was like just part of our family. Like we took care of things and we talked about natural resource use and my mom runs a big environmental nonprofit. So it was sort of like, that was just like the space I grew up in. And then in college, I had the opportunity to go to the Arctic tundra in Alaska to do field work. And it was sort of like, they didn't choose me because I was an environmental scientist. It was like, you know, I was young in college and I really wanted to go to Alaska for the summer. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that just like totally opened my eyes to like climate science as a field of study. I just like hadn't even known it had existed. And we, it was this really cool program. We spent two and a half weeks, like totally remote in the Arctic tundra near Bethel, Alaska. We took float planes to our field site. Like we were out there. Um, and prior to and post expedition, we had the opportunity to talk to, um, some Alaska natives in Bethel who are directly um, experiencing the impacts of permafrost thaw and just like their houses were falling apart and like roads were just completely decimated because warming temperatures are melting this ice that has like held the ground up and now it's just slumping um, and it's ruining community infrastructure. And so I think kind of being exposed early on to how climate science connects to how we live our lives in certain places was really powerful to kind of see that it was a very like it is science and there's physics and chemistry and like, you know, pure science, but there's also a lot of thinking about kind of the overlap and the interdisciplinary aspects of climate and like our lived experience in different climates. And so that pushed me to continue to study it. And then when I graduated college, I had the opportunity to go to Denmark on a Fulbright to study like climate change in um, Greenland actually. And kind of in tandem with that, you know, very unplanned, got an offer to do a full master's in Copenhagen. 
And so decided to do the full master's um, because I was sort of like, well, if I'm going to be doing research, like I might as well get a degree. Like I'm not really looking to do extra classes just for the sake of classes. Um, And yeah, that ended up being a really good decision for me. I think it was really cool to go abroad to study climate change because how we talk about it in the U.S. is very U.S. centric, like how is climate change manifesting here? And we think a lot about wildfires out west or droughts or sea level Mm -hmm. rise in coastal communities. And I went abroad and realized that depending on where people are from, they talk about it really differently. Um, Mm. And so it was really interesting to kind of see how the rhetoric around climate change depends a lot on your um, like sort of the country, the governing system of the country you grew up in. Like, I think that really affects people's optimism regarding climate change. Like if they believe in their government addressing environmental issues, they're way more, in my experience, people are way more like optimistic about our outcomes. Whereas I was sort of like, the U S government has done like literally nothing. Um, (laughs) so like, you know, I can't say that I'm like, yeah, like government's going to solve this issue for us. But being in Denmark, like there's a lot more trust in government and the Danish government has a much better track record with addressing environmental issues. And so the Danes I was in school with were way more like were there for different reasons than I was, I think, which was really cool to see and kind of get this international Hmm. perspective. Um, And while I was in Europe, I had the opportunity to live in France and work for like a UN adjacent consulting agency focused on climate security. And so I think just having the opportunity to study climate change from a lot of different perspectives and disciplines has been really interesting. And I think it's cool to then connect that to sort of like the outdoor industry in the US now that I'm back here or to just be able to kind of apply this framework to a lot of different sectors. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It seems like in a lot of the European countries in uh, New Zealand, like in a lot of these places, climate change and protecting the planet and caring about these types of things is not a partisan issue in the u.s it is and has traditionally been a very partisan issue but i i've never understood it because it shouldn't really be like it's not about any one part like the world doesn't really give a shit and i think if you're just gonna look at the politics of it too like the current current president and the past president neither of them did anything good for the climate like both of them are like they both screwed it up like and they both like make campaign promises one way or the other and i'm not saying one is worse than the other although i certainly feel one way i but it it, like they both don't give a shit so like it's not democrat republican it really should just be a thing that people actually are like okay this is the future of the planet we're going here we need to go here you know like it it really should be as simple as somebody standing there with a map, you know, like there's a lot of things that can be done that are not that difficult. Obviously, there's a ton of shit that is like a really hard, a lot of unworking, but there's a lot of really simple things that could be done to protect the environment that just aren't getting done in the U.S. And and it very much is the case where a lot of these other countries care way more. And that's really all it boils down to. They're willing to spend the funds on that kind of thing. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's been interesting. I think one of the biggest things I've noticed coming back to the U.S. is like, you know, when you're in Europe, you're generally living in a city like, you know, there's a lot more of these like big urban centers. And so I was in Copenhagen and then I was in Ancy, which is a city just south of Geneva in France. And um, 
And I think like prior to living abroad, I'd kind of been like, well, you need to like spend time in nature to want to protect the environment. And like, we just need to get more Republicans and like people who don't believe in climate change outside and kind of experiencing the outdoors. And I think that's one pathway. But I also think that it's a really unfair assumption to kind of conflate time outside with any sort of environmental ethic. Like, I think there are Mm -hmm. tons of people that spend a lot of time outside doing really rad outdoor things who don't give a shit about the planet or who don't Mm -hmm. like, you know, put any action into protecting the places that they recreate in. And so I think coming back, I've had a lot more awareness of kind of like the outdoor industry is like pretty bad for the environment. Like there's a lot of materialism and there's a lot of like, I mean, you think about how many people fly or drive to ski and like I drive to ski. Um, and kind of like, where does that fit in? And I think we, it's easy to kind of be like, well, if you spend time outside, like you must like care about the climate and do things for it. And I just think that's really not true. And so thinking about like how we can kind of move away from this false assumption that like more time outside equates to like a stronger environmental ethic and think about, okay, how do we build a strong environmental ethic? Like it's gotta be an active thing. Like it can't be this passive thing that we think it is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Let me let me ask you a pretty direct question, if that's okay. Let how do you you look at protect our winters? Do you like what they do? Do you dislike what they do, and why? Like I, mm-hmm. I will preface this by saying like I've had Mario Molina on the show. I think he's got all the best intentions in the world. I've told him, and I've told a bunch of people like I disagree with a lot of the things that they use to promote whatever it is that they're doing and like to make people feel one way or another. But I, I'm very open to like hearing opinions on what people feel about protect our winters, because I think it's gotten to the point where people associate, okay, climate change, winter, protect our winters. Like those that goes like for most people goes right in hand with each other. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a really good question. I will also preface this by saying that I know a lot of people who work with Protect Our Winners, and I think they're awesome people and really (laughs) well-intentioned. That being said, I don't think POW is doing as much as I would hope they're doing. Like, I think they've kind of co-opted this space of being like the environmental group that is addressing kind of the intersection of climate change and skiing. And I think that takes away from a lot of voices that aren't being heard if like you sort of don't go through power if you don't operate under power and i i just don't think power is that effective like i think they're effective in in certain ways but um i have had some friends who have been on the power athlete alliance who did not feel included they did not feel like their perspective was heard when it kind of went against the Mm. power way um and i think like change is not going to be made if we're just following like one viewpoint and not listening to different viewpoints. And, um, and I think some of this stuff, like kind of seeing like heli skiing videos with pow people in them, it's sort of like, what gives like, you know, like how, I I don't know. And I, I, it's really complicated. Like, I think it's a lot of pressure to kind of figure out, like we're all trying to figure this out and we're all hypocritical in different ways. Um, so I think like, you know, like it's not, it's not totally black and white, but I do think that POW could be doing a better job. And I think more recently in particular, I've been pretty disappointed about some of the things that I've heard they're coming out with and kind of, um, yeah, just seeing like the work or lack thereof that um, they're doing in this space. Yeah, I think, 
I think that they do a good job of bringing general awareness to people who were not aware. Totally. And I think that that's what they do the best, better than anything. I, I have a lot of friends that are on like the POW Athlete Alliance thing. And I mean, fuck, like I got a POW Alliance <laughs> postcard behind me somewhere. Like, but they just sent it. To, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know if I get it. I don't know if I get where the money goes to. I don't know if I understand what's actually being done on the day to day. Like I get lobbying and we go, but it just feels like we just bring athletes to the white house or Capitol Hill and we just post them standing out front or shaking somebody's head. Like, I don't feel like that actually yields any fruit ever. Like I actually feel like it's just performative activism in a lot of ways, which I actually do believe has value in some aspects. Like, I do think that there's some things with that, like general awareness, right? Like just telling people this is a problem. But I think they've done that for, I don't know, a decade more, two decades. Like they've done that forever. People know it's a, a thing now, especially in the ski community. What is the next step? And I, And I don't know what the next step is. And again, like, I'm over here like sitting in my chair, like not having to worry about these bigger issues and I'm, I'm talking shit, but like, I think that there is a better way to include people, to get more opinions heard and to actually change things within the community because I don't actually believe that we're going to change anything that happens in DC. Like, and I don't think... I think we can change some stuff at the local level. And I think that's where a lot of the effort should be focused. But I think like within the ski community, like if we can all do a better job of being better environmental stewards or whatever, as a ski community, then we start to move in the right direction. And we don't have to all worry about like, cause I do the same thing. I'm like, Oh, that dude's in a fucking helicopter right now for no yeah. reason to get a shot. And like, I don't want to have to like, point that out in some in some ways it's fair in some ways it's not fair right like i'm sure totally. they do plenty of other really good things it's not like a knock on them as a person but it's like that's what's generally accepted practice and that causes like fight within the people that really care about this stuff and now we're not on the same page again and that's that's what i have a hard time understanding about pow is i wish there was more focus on creating unity in that and less focus on hi i'm this person i'm at capitol hill we had a great time. Totally. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I just don't. Yeah. Care. No, I completely agree. And I, I would love to see more new people in the POW space. Like, I just think they have been doing the same thing over and over. And it's like a lot of the same people too. And like, those people are great, but I, I want to see newer voices. I want to yeah. see different ways of working. Um, yeah. Because, you know, if everything we were doing across the board was working, like climate change wouldn't be the issue it is today. Right. But like, yeah nothing we've tried is working. And I think orgs need to recognize that and like kind of step up and be ready to evolve. And I think skiing's honestly a really tricky sport. And I think about this a lot in some of the writing I do about skiing and climate change, because it's sort of like, like who cares? Like, does it matter? You know, like such a small percentage of the global population skis or cares about skiing or like anything. So it's sort of like, you know, like maybe we, like maybe it doesn't matter, but I, I think like, that's a question I ask myself a lot when I'm like writing an article about the intersection of skiing and climate change is like, mm. who am I actually reaching with this? And I think it can be easy for me to like convince myself that 
no one cares. Um, but I've also talked to a lot of people who are like, skiing is how I understand climate change. Like, this is how I understand it on a daily level. Sure. And this motivates me in other areas to address climate change as a broader issue. And I think it's important to remember that, like, we're incredibly, like, we're incredibly self-centered species. Like, we need yeah. to know, like, how it's affecting us. And if, like, like if skiing is one avenue that kind of gets to people and like gets them to act like that's great and i think we can do that and we need to think about like okay what motivates people that have never skied don't care about skiing and will never ski and like we need people doing good work in those spaces um so i think like storytelling is important in that too is kind of like how do you connect it to people's like real experiences because that's gonna drive action and skiing is such a tricky one because it's such a yeah, such a niche population of really privileged people that get to ski. Yeah, no, for sure. Like it, it, it's funny. I've always, I've always had a problem with the like, oh, protect the planet so we can go skiing still, like kind of conversation. It it just didn't make sense to me. And I told that to Mario last year and he was like, yeah, I don't really like it either. But you know what? Like people need to understand how it affects them in their back door. And if that means I got to tell people they're not going to go pow skiing anymore for them to give a shit about climate change, it's like, I'm going to fucking do it like that. And that's fair. And I think we should probably say again, this isn't like personal towards anyone at pow. I just think the group as a whole has gotten so big that like now changes are harder to make. And that's the problem with like larger organizations is you lose control. Like no one person has the say in this, that, or the other thing anymore. It's now like everybody's opinion is heard, hopefully, or the majority of people's opinions are heard or some people's Mm -hmm. opinions are heard. And it just isn't what it started as, which is like this rogue, we're going to disrupt the system. Like it's not that anymore. And I wish it was, but there's plenty of wonderful people like that show up every single time. And I see him in every photo. Like, I think Brody Levin's awesome. Like, I actually really, really like that guy. He's been nothing but kind to me. He's a great example of someone who like, does basically as little to impact the environment as possible. Like when it comes to skiing, like the dude hasn't ridden a chairlift in 150 years, you know, like it's (laughs) like, I think that part of it's really great. He lives and breathes what he's talking about. But I don't necessarily think that like, the group as a whole is doing a good enough job at the local smaller scale level integrating into the communities in a way that people give a shit i think at this point like if i see another picture of brody caroline any of these other people like in front of the white house or in front of wherever congress and they're like here we go we're here again like I'm glad you guys are there, but I don't really care about you, the physical picture of you being there. I care about what's being done and I care about learning about that side of thing. And may, maybe this is like how we started this where like the good stuff is actually not what anybody gives a fuck about and they just care about the thumbs up in front of a building. Yeah. That's if that's the case, I'm wrong, whatever. <laughs> it's fine. You know, yeah. but I, I just yeah. think that there's a there's a route to go where the education takes center stage, the like community aspect of it takes center stage and less of this, like, here's what we're doing with this money is we're lobbying. But like, I don't think the general public even understands what lobbying is. Like, I I, I don't think, I, I don't think they know, like, I can tell you for a fact, I have no idea when I donate money to POW, which I do every single year, 
where that money goes, what happens with it. All I do is I get a follow-up postcard and like, that's fine. But like, Mm -hmm. tell me, like, I don't know, when you donate to like an animal shelter or something, they send you a picture of a dog that you saved. Like, give me one of those. Give me one of those. Like, that's all I want, man. Like, I just want to know the things that are being done. And I don't want to have to dig for it. I'm sure you can find it. I'm sure somebody's going to email me. Here's other things that we've done in the last six months. I'm Mm -hmm. glad you did them. But I'm just saying Mm -hmm. like, make that message clear. Totally. And I think, I mean, my experience has been Pow is really open to feedback. Like I skied this winter and we had some really good conversations on the skin track about like, you know, like what direction should Pow be going in and kind of feedback and have talked to some other people who are more like in office positions at Pow. So I think, you know, like at the end of the day, like we're all trying to figure this out. And like, I think we do need like being on the same page is good. And it's unfortunate that like climate change is a very divisive issue. Um, but it's like, we're all like kind of trying to figure out how to organize like the entire world to respond effectively and efficiently to a (laughs) really big problem that we do not totally understand. That's like incredibly uncertain and, um, looks really different in different places. And like, when you, when, when you say it like that, it's sort of like, of course we haven't figured it out. Like it's so complicated. Um, and like, they're just like, it's like complicated in certain ways where it's like, yeah, like when you think about like, where does the money come from? And like, you think about the fact that like country borders like mean a lot to people. And so it's really hard for us to think about this on like a global collaboration level. But it's also really easy in some ways. It's like, we know that like, we need to like lessen our impact and we need to like put less carbon into the atmosphere. And like, at this point, we probably should like draw carbon down from the atmosphere. Um, So yeah, it's, it's, we're all figuring it out. Yeah, it's, it's a hard thing. And like, I'm not, in no way am I attacking anybody. It's just like we want we want to help in any way that we can. And I think having the hard conversation sometimes is the most effective one. And, and that can be a thing. But to your point, like, I think Americans as a generality don't necessarily want to take pointers from other countries and the way other people do things. It's like, it's almost like because there's that border, we know like that's what happens over there. The amount of times I've heard that's yeah. what happens in New Zealand. That's New Zealand. They're fucking weird. We can't do anything that they're doing. Like, yeah. But there's so many things you can learn from a lot of these other countries that we just don't take advantage of totally. because of, of the issue of a border. Like, it just doesn't make sense. Totally. Yeah. I think we're really bad at like embracing humility as a country and kind of being like we're like not doing well at this like we should look to other countries that maybe oh, are we're smaller the best. We're or the best. have Always. lower gdp or whatever like yeah um yeah it's interesting yeah i don't i don't know if i i don't know if i'm ever gonna fully understand it but that's okay i <laughs> can i ask you as the climate scientist what if you could tell people one thing to do that actually makes a positive impact in terms of climate change? I know there's not a good answer. I know there's not yeah. any one thing that people can do, but like, is there a thing that you wish people cared about more? Is there a thing that they can do in their own backyard? Like does going to a community meeting matter, a town hall meeting matter? Mm-hmm. Like that kind of stuff, I guess, is what I want to know because I don't know, I spent five years on a conservation commission board and like you hear all the reasons that certain stuff is not getting pushed through certain stuff is getting pushed through like why it's a lot like why you can't build near this habitat and like you know it's funny like people actually care sometimes but then as soon as it's their own backyard they don't give a shit you know so i i i wonder from your end what you think actually can be done for the individual yeah that's a really good and very hard question 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's like there are a lot of conversations right now about like fly less, be vegan, eat less meat, like all these things that you can do as an individual to kind of lower your carbon footprint. And I think if those like make you feel good, that's like that's great. Like go for it. And like we need change, we need systemic change. Like we need change at a much bigger scale. Um, and that being said, like as we were talking about earlier, it's really hard to influence change in the U.S. And like it's you know, I don't have much faith in DC coming up with like these breakthrough um, changes and how the US is addressing climate change. And so kind of thinking about those two ends of the spectrum, I think being really engaged in local community and kind of building local community is super important. Like, I think it's hard to envision fostering like a big collaborative effort on like a national or international scale because there are so many divisions and it's just like it's hard to mobilize people and it's hard to connect with people over the internet and over zoom um but i think if you can be really engaged in your local community and kind of know the issues in your area and like break climate change down to the scale of what you see and feel and hear and listen to every day is really really powerful and like go to town meetings, go to community organizing events, like figure out what nonprofits in your area are trying to do something. And if there aren't nonprofits in your area try, trying to do something, like reach out to bigger ones that like will come into smaller communities and like find those resources. But I think, I think it's such a big issue that it's really hard to address effectively at a big scale as an individual. And so kind of breaking it down to a scale that you can be um, that you can like take action in is super important. And then like build relationships with the people around you who are experiencing what you're experiencing day to day. So whether mm -hmm. that's like you're a coastal community that's worried about sea level rise, like talk to your neighbors, like figure out what like your community planning infrastructure is, figure out what access you have to like FEMA funding for flooding, figure out if like insurance is going to cover house flooding, like, you know, kind of think like, I think thinking really locally drives change at bigger scales ultimately. Um, but it's like easier to comprehend, easier to like find the right people and like real people to talk to about it. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's and kind of leveraging the like power of democracy, you know, like yeah. I don't think it's really easy to do that at a federal level in the U S these days, but I think you can do that at a more local level and like figure out what yeah. local means to you, you know, depending on what state you're in, like maybe it's statewide, maybe it's like countywide, maybe it's just your city or your town. Yeah. Yeah. I think we need more examples of things working positively in order for it to even be accepted at a bigger scale. Right. And I think that's how things snowball. Like, I think that's how these things get better and better. It's also how they get worse and worse, you know, like it's, if it goes the other way. So yeah. I think, I, I think the solution is kind of working together on issues that are in your own backyard. Like, I think that that's, that's excellent advice. And it's the, best way for people to start caring in general because they have to just start somewhere right totally. if they don't start then they never like they never get anywhere with it because they just listen to everybody else talk about it it never goes any further totally yeah yeah so. absolutely um one of the last things i think i want to ask you um then i'll let you get out of here is writing in general writing for powder i, I know we talked about like telling different stories and that kind of thing. But how do you have a plan for what you're thinking for powder? Like, especially like from Utah, like what kinds of things are different to you? What kinds of stories do you actually want to hear about? And what are you looking for? Like somebody comes to you with an idea, like what are you, 
what kind of things are you hoping to see come across your desk? Mm -hmm. I hope that we can tell like more creative stories in skiing. Like I think, you know, it's great if you skied some awesome couloir in the Wasatch, but like, I kind of want like a little more meat to that story. Um, And it's great that like Icon is bringing on a new resort, but like, why does that matter? Like, let's have some broader commentary. So I think that's important to me. Um, But I also feel like I'm very much like, even though I'm like stepping into this role, like very much in a position of learning. So like the original founders of Powder Magazine are a part of this relaunch. um, And there are people who've been at Powder for years who are coming back to be a part of this relaunch. And that, um, like, that's so cool. There's so much, um, like, people are so excited about this. But I feel like as sort of a new person to this space, I'm really excited to listen to what people, like, have to say and kind of, you know, figure, like, figure out that balance of, like, honoring the ethos of the magazine and kind of, like, what people who have been in this space for, like, decades think and and bring, like, my own unique perspective and voice to that space. And in terms of, like, listening to people in Utah and kind of covering Utah, it's kind of the same thing. Like I haven't lived here for that long. So I don't feel like I'm like a Utah expert, but I think in some ways that's a lot better because I'm super curious, you know, like I haven't gotten super jaded about Utah yet. Like I'm psyched to be here. Everything feels new. Um, I've gotten to ski with some awesome people this winter and I'm really excited to talk to them and kind of like hear their stories, hear what they're psyched on, hear um, what they think of Utah and then kind of like filter that through like my own perspective of being new here and not mm. being jaded and think about like what are the interesting stories there or like what are stories that people think are obvious because they've lived in Utah and skied in Utah for a long time that like are actually really novel and cool and interesting and like different um, yeah so yeah I hope we can like I think like a, a broad theme through what I hope to cover is just like thinking about like what do we celebrate in skiing and like I don't think we just celebrate like the big lines and the successes and like ski media shouldn't reflect that. Like we should Mm. like expand beyond that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think to your point about like being new to the area and being able to tell a story like differently or better or whatever, like there's this saying in retail that talks about like uh, shop owners will walk by the same piece of dirt every single day and never see it. Right. And then a customer comes in and it's all they see. Right. Mm-hmm. It's because you're so yeah. close to the thing. You never, never get it. It's like it, people ask me all the time, why don't you move out of Massachusetts, go to Utah, go to Colorado? And it's like, because I get to visit those places all the time. And when I visit them, it's like something's new and fresh. And like, I get excited about this thing or that thing. And like, I like being able to separate myself from it because all these places seem, all these places seem awesome to me. Like they don't seem like something that I'm tapped on yet. So totally. It, it's yeah it's really it's the way that i like to look at things like from the outside looking in because otherwise it just you get too close to stuff it's like yeah like doctors don't want to know the people they're working on a lot of time because you're taking too personal of an approach i think it's the same application here totally yeah i think taking a step back is really important and like just about everything yeah for sure um ani this has been awesome i really appreciate it um where can people find you where can people find your work um, and anything else you want to plug, like, feel free. This is your, this is your time. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely go fo- follow, um, powder magazine, um, and powder magazine slash resort region, Utah. Um, but yeah, just poke around the powder website. Like there are so many people involved in this relaunch who are doing awesome things. Um, 
that you should check out and definitely like send us an email if you have suggestions or ideas. Um, and then, yeah, all of my writing and work can be found at AnnikaWilliams.com. Um, and my email's on there too. And I'm always so psyched to hear from people who have story ideas or feedback on pieces I've written. Or if you think like you have a cool story to tell and want to be profiled, that's something I do. Um, so yeah, I'm psyched to hear from anyone who wants to talk about anything. And like, if you just want to chat and don't want to get published, like that's totally fine too. Like I have so much to learn in this space that like any conversation is a good conversation. Rad. Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been yeah, great. Yeah. Thanks Adam. This is sweet.